The mayor of a small town ordered all of his residents to get medical care and regular exercise. Those who that comply with his directive are exempt from a stiff medical and death tax. This mayor's concern, he's mayor of a small village in southern Italy, his concern is that his population is aging and diminishing. He's seen it drop over the last few decades from 1,500 or so down to 500 residents. Houses sit empty. Uh, just real serious problem. He's concerned that his village is going to cease to exist. To preserve it, he wants his people to avoid premature death and has effectively made it illegal to get sick. Now, we can identify with the positive aspects of that goal. We all try to avoid the difficulties of life by finding a path that is more pleasant, that suits us better. Even God's people have a deep desire for a normal life one that allows us the freedom to pursue our interests and accomplishes our, our goals. The Lord, however, doesn't seem to be quite as concerned as we are about our comfort. It just doesn't rise quite as high on his scale of priorities. And today's passage in Luke chapter 9, I'd urge you to open your Bible there, Luke chapter 9, this is God's response to our wrong thinking. In fact, much of this chapter is God's response to our wrong thinking. Uh, There there are some important milestones in Luke chapter 9, as well as in the other synoptic gospels, Matthew and Mark. uh, They all have these things in about the same sequence uh, of events because they're all very much connected. Uh, First, the disciples express their conviction for the first time that Jesus is the Messiah the very Son of God. Now, that's a huge doctrinal uh, advance for the disciples. And based on that, Christ decided that it was time for him to announce to them his coming death and resurrection. Knowing full well that that outcome did not fit in with their concept of Son of God and Messiah. Uh, in fact, they can't fit in. And uh, Peter's response, according to um, Matthew and Mark, was a swift rebuke of Christ. No, no, that plan is not going to happen to you. It can't happen to you. It's impossible. And I'm here to make sure that it doesn't happen. Now, we all suspect that closely uh, connected to Peter's and the other disciples, their concern for Christ not having to endure such a, a, a horrible path, 
there was also a concern for themselves. I mean, if that's what God has planned for his own son, how can we expect better for us? And so there is a personal involvement there in not wanting to see Christ have to endure such challenges. But Peter's response solicited an immediate stern rebuke from Christ. As Christ says, in fact, the path that I have chosen that leads to death is the same path that you have to choose as well. It's the path of self-denial in order to accomplish God's plan. This life might not look very much like what you might choose for yourself, but there's a purpose to it all. Now, very graciously, Christ adds in to that stern rebuke and that, uh, and that exhortation, choose God's path of self-denial, because at the end of that path, all who follow Christ will share in his glory. Now, on top of all that, Christ adds in that there are some of you, speaking to his disciples, there are some of you, he said, standing here today. In fact, maybe you'd want to see that verse. It's verse 27 of Luke chapter 9, just before our passage. I tell you truly, Christ says, there are some standing here who will not taste death, will not experience physical death until they see the kingdom of God. Can you imagine the awe in the hearts of the disciples that moment, wondering which of them are going to get to see the glory of the kingdom of God? Christ's purpose here is to have some of his followers actually get this visual picture of what this future glory that God has planned for all who follow this path of self-denial. What might that glory look like? And that leads directly to our passage today. The transfiguration of Christ is the fulfillment of that promise that some will see in advance, but all will experience that future glory if you choose to accept God's plan for you. God's plan leads to a glorious future. And yes, it includes hardships along the way. But because of that glorious future, this passage urges you must decide to follow Christ. It is the right path for you. Verse 28 begins then this fulfillment of Christ's amazing promise, some would see the kingdom of God, an advanced view of what the glory of heaven is going to be like. And in all of this, 
Verses 28 to 31 tell us that the Lord has made that choice for himself. He has chosen to accept God's plan and take up his cross, ultimately leading to a literal taking up of his cross. But figuratively, every day Christ lived, he took up his cross. He was heading for those challenges and facing challenges all along the way. Christ knew the end result was glory. So he decided to follow that path. He's providing the right example for us here. So verse 28 tells us that uh, it was eight days later. That is a very unusual time sequence indication. We just don't get that in the Gospels, uh, hardly anywhere else. It's a direct direct link here connecting the promise with the fulfillment. Eight days later, otherwise insignificant. Why did we need to know that? Because here is the fulfillment. In fact, he says he took, uh, after these sayings, after the very things that the previous verses record, that interchange between Christ and his disciples, including the rebuke and including the promise, he says, after that, he took with him, and here are the some disciples he was referring to. Now we find out who. It's Peter and John and James. And he took them up on the mountain to pray. Now you have to know that God's people have wondered what mountain is this talking about ever since. And there's speculation, there's a tradition, it goes back quite a long ways, all the way back to the time of Emperor Constantine. Uh, whose mother traveled the Holy Land in the fourth century, asking the local residents, where did this happen? Where was this event in the Bible? And they, whatever they pointed out, that's what she designated. And in almost every one of those cases, built a church on top of it. And so there is a mountain called Mount Tabor. It's a very distinctive mountain, almost a perfectly shaped, rounded top to it. And I mentioned last week that when Christ was in Nazareth, they tried to push him off a cliff, that our tour goes to that cliff, and we look over the edge, and we look at the Jezreel Valley, Armageddon, spread out in front of us, and just to the left is Mount Tabor. From there, you can just make out the building uh, that stands there today. It's not the same one that the emperor's mother built, but it's on that same location. And it probably, it's a really good guess, it probably marks where this event took place. Now, verse 28 says that Christ went there with these three disciples to pray. Do you wonder what he was praying about? Is this just his morning devotions, wanted to do it on the mountaintop that day? Well, I don't think so. He made a promise to his disciples. And now having brought these three to the top of this mountain, he is asking God to fulfill that promise. 
This is something the Lord is going to have to do for the benefit of the disciples. And so he's asking. Verse 29 tells us that it was as he was praying that God answered. Exactly what Christ was anticipating here. What Christ is really asking for is, Father, would you give them this visual lesson? Give them the opportunity to actually see the future glory. Christ's future glory, but also the glory that he is planning to share with all who will follow God's path. This is for the benefit primarily of the disciples. And whereas verse 28, he's requesting this visual lesson, in verse 29, God answers by displaying Christ's kingdom glory. We might have wondered, what would it look like to see the kingdom of God? And we might picture in our imagination beautiful buildings and maybe that street of gold that we find out about in the book of Revelation. Other things to see. But now for God to show a display of kingdom glory, what he shows is the king in his glory. There's the epitome of what it means to have the glory of heaven. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, as verse, 20, verse 29 tells us, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. Luke is very reserved in how he describes Christ's face. It's different. It doesn't tell us how it's different. Uh, but we have Matthew and Mark that tells us. Matthew is actually the most explicit. He says that his face became like the sun. That's how different his face looked. And his clothes, Matthew says, were as bright as light itself, as bright as lightning. This is a dramatic display. And it's not fake. This is real glory. This is not a vision. This is not a dream. This is real glory. An advanced view of what that looks like. Now, it is also possible that what is visible here is the deity of Jesus Christ. That would be amazing as well. You could describe that in the very same terms. But how does that help the disciples? The disciples are concerned. We are concerned about the difficulties of this path that God has charted in front of us. What we need to see is not the deity of Christ, which is never going to be ours. What we need to see is the glory of Christ, which we are going to share. This could represent his deity, but the, in this context, the real important thing is, what does that glory look like? I think uh, confirming that conclusion is the next verse. 
As Luke tells us, behold. Anytime uh, one of the scripture writers inserts the word behold before describing something, it's our alert that this is going to be amazing. Who would have anticipated this? Behold, two men were talking to him. Moses and Elijah, of all people. No, they didn't just happen to be in the neighborhood. God sent them. And as they're talking with him, verse 31 goes on to say, who appeared in glory. Oh, wait a minute. There are three people now in glory. One of them is God's son, yes. He has inherent glory. But the other two are ordinary human beings, both of whom experienced rejection during their time on this earth, both of whom successfully completed their assignments from God. And now what's their condition? They are also in glory. Here's evidence that this isn't just for Christ. He gets glory at the end of the road. But for God's people who faithfully persevere, endure, fulfill, complete their mission from Christ, they will share his glory too. That's the basis for Moses and Elijah being in glory on this occasion. This is all for the disciples' benefit. So Old Testament saints here confirm God's plan. Moses and Elijah, that's not just random. Why not Isaiah? Uh, Why not David? Moses and Elijah, we, we looked took a peek last week at the end of the book of Malachi because of the connection with what Christ was uh, doing with, with uh, maybe that wasn't last week, that had to do with John the Baptist. But one verse earlier at the end of the book of Malachi, Moses gets mentioned as a representative of the law of God. Remember to obey the law of Moses, the verse says. And then Elijah, Elijah, who in the person of John the Baptist had already returned to prepare the way. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. What Christ is promising here is the the continuation of what the Old Testament had said. Their path was difficult. Our path is difficult. The end result Glory for both categories. Verse 31 gives us a little more insight about the conversation that was taking place between Moses, Elijah, and Christ. Uh, They appeared in glory and they spoke, the three of them together spoke of his departure. That is the departure of Christ from this earth according to God's plan. What does that departure include? He is going to depart from this earth by means of 
intense suffering, vicious, violent death, and the resurrection. God's plan. A very difficult plan. But what's the end result going to be? It's going to be glory. Again, Christ has made that choice. I will deny myself. I will take up my cross. And I know it's going to be hard. But I've got my eye on that final goal. I suspect there was also some benefit to Christ in this discussion. This is not just for the display of the disciples and their encouragement to persevere. What Christ heard from Moses and Elijah no doubt was also encouragement. As if to say, now we are counting on you to follow through and complete your assignment. And we represent all the Old Testament saints. And to that, Peter, James, and John could have given their assent if they had had that long-range view. Oh, and couldn't we find an easier way? The easier way does not lead to the same destination. There is only one way to accomplish God's purpose, and that's to accept God's plan. I first visited the Holy Land in 1981 as a seminary student on a student tour with one of my seminary professors. Marvelous experience. 21 days. It was grueling as well. as a long time to be gone. Uh, and on our very last day, we arrived at our final hotel stop at about noon, which was really unusual. Normally, it's late in the day, noon. And the rest of the day, our schedule was, li- was labeled as free time. Well, most of us planned to get some rest because we were exhausted and pack our bags, get ready for the plane flight uh, the next day. There was one student, though, that had another plan. He knew from prior study that there was, an, there was another site that was not on our itinerary, and it was just an hour away from our hotel. So he began trying to recruit enough students to share a taxi with him, share the cost, and go and spend the afternoon at this last site. No one was interested. I'm tired. That sounds hard. Uh, I won't get any rest. How will I be ready for uh, the next day? Uh, When will I have time to pack? No, no, everybody turned him down. Well, he saw the uh, time slipping away, and he decided to try once more. This time, though, he brought with him a Bible atlas that had some highlight photos of some of the very special aspects of this additional site. It really was marvelous. And as he showed these photos, now he had enough students to go along to fill two taxis 
And uh, I, I was in that group. We had a marvelous time. It was an amazing site, one of the largest uh, and, and best excavated at that time. Why it wasn't on our itinerary, uh, I don't understand, but it's been on our itinerary ever since. Seeing how great it is is what made the difference for those students. Seeing the glory is what God expects should make the difference to say, yes, I will accept God's plan. Well, wait a minute. We're not getting to see it. No, he said, all we need is two or three. The testimony of two or three witnesses is sufficient to establish the reality. And we've got those two or three. In fact, Peter even recorded in his second epistle, he said, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Notice it's his majesty that Peter says he saw, not his deity. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him from the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, he says, we ourselves heard the voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. We saw it, Peter says. We saw majestic glory. We heard the voice of God. The promise is true. Accept the hardships of that, of that path because you don't want to miss that destination. This picture of Christ in glory with Moses and Elijah, this is motivation, God-given motivation to persevere. Now, that was important confirmation for Christ, but how is this supposed to impact God's people? Well, Christ having taken up his own cross, is thereby qualified to help you take up your cross. And we see his qualification, him offering his, his assistance in choosing that right path in verses 32 to 36. First of all, in verse 32... You imagine all of this amazing stuff is going on. Moses, Elijah, Christ, shining like the sun. And where are the three witnesses? They're sound asleep. They are in danger of missing the whole thing. They apparently came up uh, and woke up about uh, right toward the end. So verse 32 says, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. This could have been taken place at night. Maybe they went up the mountain in the afternoon. This takes place at night. And uh, can you imagine? They, they, they start rubbing their eyes and it's like, who left the lights on? Oh, wait. And their eyes begin to focus and it 
suddenly they realize it's Christ. He doesn't look the same. And who's that with him? They had to take a closer look at their name cards. No, we, we really suspect that we're not going to have to have introductions in heaven. Somehow, we're going to know who's who. And they, never having seen a picture of Moses and Elijah, they didn't have to ask, who is this? When they became fully awake, they saw his glory. That's why they were there. They saw his glory and the two men with them. Now, that's an important point for us, that human perception is limited. Moses and Elijah suddenly waking up, one of their questions has to be, how'd this happen? When did this take place? They don't know. They're so dull with sleep that they don't know how they got to this moment. They're unsure about the past. What just happened? What are we seeing? Uh, they have been unable to concentrate. Human perception of the reality of the moment is limited, and that applies to us too. Even if when we're fully awake, we don't really know all that's going on. God's plan, we don't get to see it all. We see glimpses. We need to learn to doubt our own perception, to doubt our alternative plans. We are so quick to come up with an improvement to God's plan. No, 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 not, not that. Let's do this instead. What do you think? And we're confident. We've got a good idea here. And not very likely you have an improvement on what God has planned and yet we persist in, uh, in putting forth uh, our alternatives. Learn to doubt your own perception. Human ideas in verse 33 are fallible. Here's Peter, ready with an idea. As the men were parting from him, now we're at the end of this experience. Uh, Peter's getting nervous. I don't want this to end. God's plan is that this is temporary, and what are we going to do next? We're going to go down the mountain, and we're going to re-engage from this glorious experience to the challenges of God's difficult path. Oh, wait, wait. Why don't we stay up here a little longer? Here's Peter's bright idea. So, uh, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let's stay longer. Uh, in fact, maybe this ought to be a long-term residence. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Let's just park here a while. Let's never mind about that valley below and the challenges that it involves. Now, Luke adds in here this editorial comment, not knowing what he said. But that doesn't mean what Peter said was nonsense. This is not gibberish. This is not Peter uh, not putting uh, a, a complete sentence together. 
This is Peter giving his own idea, which in comparison to God's plan is a false plan. It's a false alternative. Staying on the mountain, what would that accomplish? It would effectively accomplish at least the delay of the redemption of man and possibly could have averted it altogether. Can you imagine the consequences for that? Imagine the disappointment for Moses and Elijah. This display of glory becomes an illusion. The future home in heaven, forgiveness of sin, that's all part of God's plan and it makes God's plan necessary. We dare not forfeit God's plan, no matter how hard it is. Doubt your plan, yes. But verses 34 to 36, trust the guidance of Christ. He can help you take up your cross. So verse 33 ends with Peter speaking his mind, suggesting an alternative to God's plan, and as he was saying these things, he's not even done talking yet, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud, a dark, dense cloud, and suddenly, from this glorious view, they see nothing. They can't even see each other. And well might they be afraid as they entered that cloud. This was not just a natural cloud. God often uses cloud, a cloud, in Scripture to represent his presence. He did that in the Old Testament. Here it is again. This is the presence of God. And it was a way of of God effectively saying, Peter, it's time for you to stop talking. Stop generating your own ideas. There's something else you need to hear, and you're not listening while you're talking. A voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. You see the advance there? It's not just my son. He's always been God's son. But he's the one that God chose to be the redeemer. And that's the difficult path he has to follow. This is my son, my chosen one. Here it is. Listen to him. You stop talking, Peter. Listen to my son. He's made the right choice for himself. He can help you make the right choice. Not just once, but every new day, he can help you choose. 
to take up your cross, endure that hardship, and arrive at the goal. Listen to him. Moses had given a heads up about this role of the Messiah. Deuteronomy 18, 15. He says, the Lord your God will raise up a prof for you, a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Hear him because you need to know what he has to say. God is here directing attention to Christ. Hear him means believe what he says is true. Believe him when he says God's plan is best. Obey him when he says, yes, here's what I want you to endure for the cause of Christ today. So now the experience itself is over. The cloud moves away in verse 36. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And although our response might be, oh no, does that mean it's over? Moses and Elijah, I have some questions for them. That they found Jesus alone is God's visual way of saying, all you need is him. His grace is sufficient to help you through this path, however long it lasts, however hard it is. And he can guide you all the way to that glory. Our church family knows well the challenges so many in our church have faced recent months throughout this past year. As you know, Jan is among them. She had two surgeries last year and a back injury. And now this year started out with a car accident. As I was processing that reality, uh, which was just four weeks ago now, I immediately began thinking of uh, alternatives. Lord, couldn't the other driver just have taken a quick glance to the left before she entered the road? and see that there's actually another car coming? Couldn't Jan had, had just continued her conversation with Rachel Taklobe? She had been visiting with her before they departed to go back to the Philippines. Couldn't she have just stayed with her for five more seconds? Surely they could have found something to talk about um, after their visit. Yeah, there are lots of other ways that we could have avoided God's plan. But the bottom line is no, it's God's plan. It wasn't God's plan that I ended up in an accident hanging for 15 minutes by the seatbelt. He wanted to show he could sustain Jan through that. 
He wanted to display his power. And even though we don't know how, he wanted to achieve his purpose. Whatever the hardships are, they are not without purpose. God's plan leads to God's goal. And there's no other way to get there. Besides auto accidents, injuries, God's plan includes hardships like the flu, like the disappointment of sickness at the most inopportune times, like when you're on vacation. It includes unexpected household repairs. It includes the loss of a job. I mean, these are all things that are going on in the church family on a fairly regular basis, it seems. It also includes a disappointing relationship. But it doesn't matter what it includes. The lesson here is God is using it in your life to accomplish his purpose. And that needs to be okay with you. In Christ's words, you need to accept your cross and take it up. God, I'm willing. Thank you for the promise of that future glory. Help me to be faithful. Christ stands ready to help you make that choice. He made it. It wasn't easy. He can guide you to follow that path. Will you ask for his help right now? Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for such a Savior. What self-denial... What faith in his heavenly father. What pain and suffering he was willing to endure. Father, what glory he shares today. Lord, would you help us to follow his example to follow the guidance that he gives that can help us to take up our cross each day. Father, we are confident in your promise. Help us as well to be committed to your purpose. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.